You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. There's more than one Supreme Court hanging in the balance in next week's election. In addition to the U.S. Supreme Court and its lingering vacancy, 27 states will hold elections for their highest courts. In some places, the fights are bitter, expensive, and potentially pivotal for the law in those states. Here's one ad that's running in North Carolina where redistricting has become a major issue. It's in support of Mike Morgan, a Democrat running for the North Carolina Supreme Court against Republican Bob Edmonds. It's called The Snake, a long, skinny congressional district drawn along I-85 to segregate African-American voters. The Snake and others like it were drawn by state legislators as a partisan power grab. And just as Bob Edmonds, he wrote the decision supporting his party's discrimination. And here's another from Kansas, where an ad features the relatives of a murder victim who blamed the state's Supreme Court for voting to set aside the murderer's death sentences. My brother was a school teacher, and this cause has nothing to do with any political parties or any politicians. Anybody telling you any different is lying to you. Our families are taking a stand. We're tired of being treated this way by these Kansas Supreme Court judges. We're doing this so no other Kansan has to go through what we've gone through. With us to talk about the subject of judicial elections is Alicia Bannon, senior counsel at the Brennan Center for Justice. She's in the studio in New York, and she's a critic of judicial elections. And Jack Park, who's of counsel at Strickland Brockington Lewis in Atlanta, and he supports partisan judicial elections. Uh, Alicia, before we get into the merits uh, of judicial elections, can you just give us a broad overview, comparing it with previous years? Um, how much money is being spent this year? How many states are we talking about where we have heavily contested elections? Well, so na nationwide, there, there are 38 states that use some form of election to choose their high court just, justices. And, you know, each year we see, you know, different states have particularly active races. This year, there's about 12 states where we've really seen a lot of money pour into these races, a lot of um a lot of special interest attention. And, you know, that's a trend that we've been seeing now for many years, you know, particularly since around 2000, we've seen um, judicial elections become a lot more politicized and um, have a lot more money pour into them. So this year, North Carolina, Kansas, Louisiana, those are some of the states, Washington, where we've been seeing a lot of attention. And Jack, can you just explain the, the groundwork for us? What what are the different forms of elections we have in various states? And of course, some states uh, get their Supreme Court justices uh, through appointment. A, a large number of states do not use elections. They use what's not, uh, generally referred to as a Missouri plan, where a 
panel will nominate candidates for state appellate positions and submit those nominations to the governor or and the governor gets to choose them. Uh, other states will use nonpartisan judici- judicial elections or retention elections, and then there are partisan elections in a, in a number of states. And my experience uh, largely comes from Alabama, where the elections are partisan. Alicia, you look at a place like, say, the race in Kansas right now, and you're a critic of judicial elections, but... You know, you have crime issues that people care about. People care a lot about capital punishment. They care about whether courts are liberal or conservative. What's wrong with the kind of ads and election process that you have in a place like Kansas right now? Sure. And I should say, I think we're critics of how elections are functioning right now. You know, I think it's it's interesting that elections were introduced in the 19th century as a reform measure. There was a concern that judges were too closely aligned to the political branches. They weren't really being a check. I think that the concern, one of the concerns we have now is that elections aren't serving that function anymore. So I think there's two big concerns. One is just the role of money in these elections and the conflicts of interest that it can create for judges who are then hearing cases frequently involved some of the same lawyers and litigants that are giving them money or spending in connection with their campaigns. And the second is what the focus on particular decisions on the bench can do the next time the judge is hearing a controversial case. You know, in the end, a judge is supposed to decide a case based on their understanding of the law, not out of fear that they're going to be, you know, the subject of an attack ad the next time they're facing election. Jack, do you think the kind of ads that you heard at the top of the uh, of the segment are are helpful for for voters as they uh, try to decide who should be serving on their on their top court? They do convey information to voters. Uh, they they may not convey the information that uh, the target of the ad wants conveyed, and the target of the ads is free to submit their own ads. The and Alicia talks about about uh, lawyers appearing. That can be handled through recusal standards, where uh, judges should recuse can be required by state rules to recuse from hearing certain cases. As you know, back in 1978, uh, California voters ousted three justices of the California Supreme Court, and one of them was Rose Byrd, who voted against capital punishment in each of the 61 cases that came before her. Uh, Alicia criticizes what I would see as one-offs, but, you know, at at a certain point, there is a pattern of judicial behavior that a voter might say, this is not what I want from a judge. Alicia, you said it's the kind of elections or the way elections are running that bothers you and uh, as much as anything else, if not more. So what, how should they work then? If, if you've identified some problems, um, there may be ways to, or not to deal with them, but what, what is it that you suggest is the way that these elections ought to function? Sure. Well, I, I mean, first off, I think there there are important st- steps that states could take to, to better safeguard their elections, including stronger recusal rules. Very few states have, you know, rules regarding when judges should be stepping aside from cases in the face of, of 
um, big money, big money spending in elections, public financing for judicial elections so that candidates aren't having to fundraise from the interests that are appearing before them is another important measure. Also, there's only three states in the entire country that have some form of life tenure for judges. In every other state, judges are facing either re-election or retention election or reappointment. And I think there, there's a lot of evidence that those kinds of job security pressures are particularly troubling for judicial independence. So, for example, judges are more likely to sentence harshly in election years. And you know, regardless of how you feel about criminal justice issues, I think we should be able to agree that a judge shouldn't be making those decisions based on whether or not he or she is up for election. Jack, what about that the money issue? Even if a case doesn't rise to the level of requiring recusal, doesn't that uh, potentially have an influence on, on a judge if, say, his or her candidacy was funded by trial lawyers or business interests, sometimes from out of state, um, sometimes you know without even a disclosure of who, who the donors are? In, in Alabama, I think that there's pretty good disclosure on where the money's com- coming from, and I think that's what voters need to consider. Uh, we'd see uh, disclosure rules that give information to voters, and and I would say that partisan affiliation gives information to voters. We know, for example, that uh, Justices Kagan and Sotomayor, who were appointed by President, nominated by President Obama and confirmed to the court, think differently from Justices Alito and Roberts, who were nominated by President Bush. Alicia, how much of the money in these races, uh, we only have about 30 seconds here, but how much of the money in these races is coming from out of the states where they're actually happening? Um, a lot. And that's actually a growing trend that we're seeing a lot more attention from national groups, particularly on the right. But in this election in states like North Carolina on the left as well, we've saw President Obama made an, ador- an endorsement in the North Carolina Supreme Court race. We've been seeing other national groups going in as well. So I think we're seeing this just become more salient every every cycle. We are talking with Alicia Bannon, senior counsel at the Brennan Center for Justice and Jack Park, who's of counsel at Strickland Brockington Lewis, also a former deputy attorney general uh, for the state of Alabama for what, 12 years, Jack? Did I get that right? Yeah, deputy and assistant. Okay. Um, we're talking about the subject of state Supreme Courts and judicial elections. Um, uh, Alicia, Jack wrote a very interesting law review article about this subject, and and, and the point he was making in, in that was that you know judicial elections maybe aren't the perfect system, uh, but they ensure some accountability. You have this trade-off between independence and accountability, and judges shouldn't be uh, removed from having some accountability to the people of, the, of a state. What, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's absolutely the case that accountability is an important value and that, you know, when you're looking at choices of how to choose judges, you do see values like independence and accountability sometimes come into to tension with each other. What I'd say is that, I mean, first off, I think there are other ways of holding judges accountable. You know, we have a system of appeals where, you know, cases, if a judge makes a legal error, there are ways of correcting that. We have disciplinary procedures if judges are acting in an unethical way. Um, you know, I think too often how we see judicial elections functioning is, you know, one or two opinions get 
oftentimes cherry picked, sometimes presented in a pretty misleading way to the public. So I don't think it's all that effective in terms of, you know, kind of catching mistakes or holding judges um, accountable in that in that sense for for particular opinions. And I mean, the other piece of it is that, you know, in the end, the role of a judge is not to just abide by majority preferences. You know, one really important job of a judge is to sometimes stand up to a majority, step up, stand up to the preferences of the political branches and say that, you know, something is not allowed under our constitution. And so, you know, I think allowing um, the public to kind of override that is 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 very much in tension with with one of the fundamental jobs of judges. Jack, one of Alicia's point there kind of, if you summarize, it could be seen as saying judges shouldn't be making decisions based upon electoral considerations rather than the law. And that's a frequent criticism of judicial elections. As a, as a proponent of them, how do you respond to that criticism? What we're talking about here in particular is uh, elections for state Supreme Courts, and those courts are have the final say on what the Constitution of the state means. And sometimes what they say that the state Constitution means doesn't clearly come from the text of the Constitution. And they enter into areas that are highly political and have been politicized in the states, uh, capital punishment, um, education funding, uh, public funding of charter schools and things like that. And uh, when they do, they they frustrate, they can frustrate the will of the majority. And uh, Alex Bickle in 1962 wrote a book about it called The Least Dangerous Branch and talked about what he called the counter-majoritarian difficulty. And whenever the courts go counter the, to the majority, uh, the, le- the less frequently they do that, the, the better for, for them, I think, because every time they do it, they, with, unless you can hold them accountable, you end up with a, judicial, a regime of judicial supremacy. We are going to have to leave it there. I want to thank our guests. Alicia Bannon of the Brennan Center for Justice in New York, and Jack Park, former Deputy uh, Attorney General for Alabama and now of counsel at Strickland Brockington. Uh, Thank you both very much. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.